The reading describes events following the transfiguration, which we heard about last week. Here the word of God is written by Mark. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, immediately he threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come, by, come out only by prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Sid. Our passage is in your news sheet if you'd like to follow along there, and there's also an outline that might be helpful for you. Our Vicar John last week opened this series about kingdom life when we looked at the first part of Mark chapter 9. As he was finishing up, he mentioned that he didn't want to steal my thunder. My ears pricked up when he said that. I was listening very carefully and he came this close, I reckon, to crossing the line. But he stayed just on the right side of the line. He's actually preaching this passage this morning at Parkville, so I think he was trying not to steal his own thunder as well. In fact, he provided a really lovely, seamless transition into our passage this morning because the emotional flow of Mark chapter 9 is really intriguing, as John mentioned. And it's depicted dramatically in this painting by Raphael. I hope you can see it clearly enough there on the screen. It's called The Transfiguration. Even an initial glance shows the really stark contrasts of this part of Mark chapter 9, from the light of the transfiguration that we heard about last week 
to the darkness at the bottom of the painting that evil brings into our world. As we look at this painting, you can see Raphael's depiction of Jesus at the top of the painting with his clothes dazzling white as Mark describes them. You can see Elijah on the left and Moses on the right of Jesus. And you can see Peter, James and John lying there at, at, his, at their feet. They're kind of shading their eyes from the brightness of Jesus. In the bottom half of the painting, there's a woman in the middle. I don't really know how she fits in with what Mark writes. But on the left of the woman, we can see the nine other disciples. One of them's pointing at the group behind the woman. The group on the right of the woman has the boy with the evil spirit with his father and then maybe some family <clears throat> and friends behind them. It's so evocative, isn't it, as you look at this painting. It really leans into the feel of Mark 9 as we move from the heights of the transfiguration literally and spiritually in verses 2 to 13 to the depths of argument, evil and unbelief in the first few verses of our passage today. You might resonate with that contrast in your own life experience. Maybe you've had so-called mountaintop experiences with God, times when you've been away on camps maybe and when you felt confidence and joy in your relationship with God. Or maybe you've had other experiences with God that have been spiritual highs. That's not everyone's experience, but for some that can be part of their life of faith in Jesus. But along with that, for most of us also come times in the valley. Probably for all of us, times when we feel really deeply challenges, questions, difficulties, all of the struggles of life in a broken and divided world. Times like this have certainly been my experience. That's where Mark takes us today. As we reflect on what we heard from Mark 9, we will see the destructiveness of evil. We will see the power of Jesus at work. And we'll see a picture of belief in an unbelieving world, a call to trust Jesus the King. So first of all, the destructiveness of evil. As Peter, James and John come down the mountain with Jesus, they reach the other disciples. There's a large crowd gathered around them. The Jewish teachers of the law are arguing with the disciples. And when people see Jesus, they're overwhelmed with wonder and they run to him. I don't think their wonder is related to what's just happened in the transfiguration, not like when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and his face was still glowing from seeing God face to face. Because Jesus had said to Peter, James and John as they came down the mountain, don't tell anyone about what's just happened, which wouldn't make sense if Jesus was still glowing or transfigured in some way. Probably, I think people were overwhelmed with wonder because they'd heard about Jesus. They'd heard about his miracles, about his teaching. They'd heard about this man who was unlike any other man before him. Jesus arrives and he asks about the argument, but neither the disciples nor the teachers of the law answer. But a man in the crowd does. The man whose son was probably at the center of the argument that was happening. 
What we see in the life of this man's son is the destructiveness of evil. His son is possessed by an impure spirit. Jesus calls it a deaf and mute spirit in verse 25. This spirit has devastated this boy's life. He's the spirit has devastated the life of his family. It's made the boy unable to speak, unable to hear. When it seizes him, the boy is thrown to the ground. He foams at the mouth, he gnashes his teeth, he becomes rigid. The spirit has also sometimes thrown the boy into the fire or into water to kill him. And the father says his son has been like this since childhood. Imagine that. Imagine how devastating this was for the son, for the dad and his family. Imagine their pain and grief. Imagine how helpless they felt. This description of what was happening to the son sounds like what, might we, uh, what we might today diagnose as epilepsy. That's not at all to say that people who have epilepsy today have an evil spirit causing it. Jesus is very clear that for this particular son, even if the symptoms sound to us like an illness, they are actually caused by an impure spirit. This is evil at work. And it's incredibly destructive, isn't it? We see in this boy how radical and real the struggle is between Satan, the one who destroys life, and Jesus, the one who gives life. Thankfully, we don't all experience the attacks of Satan in the way that this boy did. But Satan continues to work in our world to destroy life and lives. Satan did it first with Eve in Genesis 3. He planted doubt in her mind about the word of God, about the truth of the word of God. The doubt that Satan planted in Eve's mind tempted her to disobey God. And with that first temptation, sin and death came into the world. That has been Satan's way of operating ever since. We read about it in 2 Corinthians 4. There we see that the God of this age, that is Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan is at work in our world, blinding people to the light of Jesus. And it's not just unbelievers who are vulnerable to the lies of the devil. Peter warns Christians he writes to in the book of 1 Peter. There might be a slide for this, I think. Uh, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's a really full-on picture, isn't it? Because of Satan's destructive work in the world, evil still ruins lives. Satan still blinds people to the beauty of the image of God in Jesus. Satan still tempts believers to doubt God's word, to disobey God's word. And so if you blow that out onto a global scale, we experience terrible things. We experience war. We experience terrible inequity, terrible injustice, corruption. 
And it's not just on a global scale either. The impacts of Satan's attacks are also deeply personal. We all face different temptations, don't we? We're tempted to be greedy. We're tempted sometimes to veil the, pr the truth to protect our reputations. We're tempted to use power for our own ends. We're tempted to be selfish, self-absorbed, impatient, to speak harshly. As we think about living in a world like this, I think there are two really common approaches that people take to try and understand what's going on. The first one is to despair. You might have read Nikki Gemmell. She's a columnist in the Weekend magazine in The Australian. And she went in this despairing direction last weekend, as she wrote. Now, obviously, you don't have to be a Christian to realise that there are some terrible events that take place around the world. And Gemmell's article was really incredibly bleak as she reflected on this. In particular, she was reflecting on her sense that perhaps we're on the brink of war in our world. And this is what she says. Will this, year, will this be the year of the thugs veering the planet for all of us? Those lovely leaders among us with little regard for humans of other religions, races, lands. Some have been quick out of the starting blocks, of course. Others are jostling in the wings, hungry for their go at chaos. How good humans are at hating how ingenious with their ways of annihilating those who have something others want. It's a really bleak article. It's a short article, but it's really striking that she doesn't offer any hope, she doesn't offer any solution to this darkness that she sees in the world. There's another approach though, when you look out at the world and you see some of these terrible things happening. And the other approach that some people take is denial. They live with an assumption that humans are all fundamentally good people. That there are a few people out there who do some terrible things, but that's the exception rather than the norm. And often people think we just need more education and things will change. We just need better technology and things will improve. God's account in the Bible is different to both of those. It's different to catastrophizing and it's different to denying. The Bible's account is that Every person, every human is made in the image of God. God's creation, when it was completed, was very good. But Satan has been lying and tempting humans since his in entry into history in Genesis 3. And so all of us sometimes fall prey to his tempting, lie, tempting lies in our lives, in big ways, sometimes in small ways, sometimes. All of us sometimes fall into sin as a result of Satan's temptation, his evil ways. So what does kingdom life look like for us in a world like this? Firstly, I think kingdom life looks like, uh, means looking fair and square at the destructiveness of evil. We don't have to wallow in every bad news story on social media, but let's also not kid ourselves that evil doesn't exist. Kingdom life means being honest with ourselves about the state of the world, being honest with ourselves about the state of our own hearts. 
let's recognize the reality of Satan and his work as he seeks to blind and devour humanity. Secondly, as we acknowledge that we live in a world like this, a world torn between good and evil, torn between God and Satan, kingdom life means recognizing the power of Jesus that brings hope in the face of evil. I think it's really significant that this theme of conflict between good and evil plays out in some of our most epic stories. Some of my favourites, so stories like Star Wars, stories like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, the Marvel movies, the Narnia series. You might have others that you really love, big epic stories that explore this theme of good and evil. Even though they're fiction, these stories are compelling, aren't they? They really resonate with us. We explore good and evil again and again in art and in literature and in movies. And here in Mark chapter 9, not in fiction this time, but in first century Israel, we see the reality of evil at work. We've come down the mountain with Jesus, Peter, James and John to hear argument, to see evil at work in the life of the Son. We've come down to the confusion of the other disciples. At this point, they were impotent in their opposition to, to Satan. They were impotent in their ministry in a broken world. We hear it from the dad. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. We hear it later as the disciples ask Jesus privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus is different. Jesus says, bring the boy to me. He rebuked the impure spirit, you deaf and mute spirit. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And it's dramatic, isn't it? The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. What a powerful moment. The boy looked dead and Jesus lifted him to life. Imagine the transformation of this boy from a life that wasn't life as Jesus won this battle against evil. This isn't a lone battle though, as I've alluded to. Right at the centre of the narrative of the whole Bible is this battle between Jesus and Satan. John spells it out for us in 1 John chapter 3. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. It's no accident that Jesus' encounter with the boy is sandwiched between references to his death and resurrection. As Jesus and the three disciples come down after the tra transfiguration, Jesus spoke about his suffering, about his rejection. And what Jesus does right after healing this boy is to take his disciples aside to teach them. And this is what he says to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. It's no accident because Jesus' death on the cross was the moment of truth in his battle against Satan. It was when the battle was won. We hear about it in Hebrews chapter four. Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by his death, 
he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. The cross was the decisive moment in Jesus' victory over Satan. We see it in the imagery of Revelation 12. We read there that as the death and resurrection of Jesus happened, war broke out in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. As we see the son lifted to his feet by Jesus, as we see Jesus die on the cross and be raised to life, as we see all of this, what we're seeing is the power of Jesus, the power of Jesus destroying the devil's work, the power of Jesus freeing humans held under the power of death by the devil, the power of Jesus hurling the great dragon down, the power of Jesus in raising the dead. What does kingdom life look like for us in this world caught up in a cosmic battle between good and evil, between God and Satan? First of all, kingdom life looks like being honest about the destructiveness of evil in our world, in our own lives. Secondly, kingdom life means recognising the power of Jesus which brings hope in the face of evil. We don't need to despair as Nikki Gemmell did in her article last weekend because the power of Jesus which transformed this boy's life still transforms lives today. And kingdom life isn't just about recognising the power of Jesus, it's about coming to Jesus as the Father did. Kingdom life is about believing in Jesus in an unbelieving world. Kingdom life is about putting our trust in Jesus the King. Maybe though you feel a bit like God has done a bait and switch on us. If you don't know what that term is about, bait and switch is a really dodgy, probably illegal advertising strategy. So for example, you might have a used car salesman, just for example, who advertises a car at a really cheap price, at a bargain price, that's the bait. And then when customers come in, they're told that that particular car has actually sold, but there's a really similar one at a much higher price. That's the switch. So if Jesus in his death has broken the power of the devil, why do we still experience evil? Is this a dodgy bait and switch by God where we expect to live in a world free of evil only to find that it's still here? Well, I don't think it is. We read already in Revelation 12 that when Jesus died and was raised, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. Satan has been defeated. That's totally true. But it's not yet the end of the story. If we keep reading in Revelation 12, we hear this. This is in verse 12. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Rejoice because Satan has lost his place in heaven. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. It is true that Jesus has defeated Satan. The power of Jesus has overcome Satan. There is no dodgy bait and switch by God. But we live in the in-between time, 
in a liminal space on the edge of a new era, but not quite there yet. We live in this short time between uh, Satan's defeat and Jesus' return. And if we turn some more pages in Revelation, we see in chapter 20 that one day when Jesus returns, the devil will be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. He will finally be overcome forever. No more experience of evil then for those who trust in Jesus. All of this means that right now, we do still experience the destructiveness of evil because of the work of Satan in the world. It also means that we can expect to see the power of Jesus while we wait for him to return. But how do we see the power of Jesus and what does it look like? It's a question we ask as we watch the dad in Mark 9. He comes to the disciples looking for the power of Jesus for them to heal his son. But the disciples were unable to drive out the evil spirit and Jesus sounds despairing in response. In verse 19, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? The dad also seems hesitant in believing that Jesus can help, maybe because of what's just happened with the disciples. He says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I think that's an exclamation that has echoed down the centuries ever since. I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. It's a haunting exclamation, isn't it? Because it echoes the human struggle to believe in Jesus. And it's beautiful because Jesus answers this halting expression of belief. He answers it by sending the evil spirit out of the boy. God invites every one of us to echo those words. I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I wonder, what do you believe about Jesus? It's a really big question, isn't it? Some of us may not be sure. If that's where you are, let me encourage you, please keep exploring who Jesus is. Please keep coming to church. Please ask us and we'll help you find someone to read the Bible with. And please ask God to help you. We read about the blinding work of Satan in 2 Corinthians 4. But the answer to that blinding work, if you keep reading, is this. God who shines his light in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So talk to God, even if you're not sure if he's there, say to him, God, I don't know if you're there, but if you are, please shine your light in my heart. Please show me the truth about who you are. Please show me how much I need Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can set us free from the power of sin and death. For those of us who do believe in Jesus, there are often challenges to our faith along the way. Sometimes we have big questions about who God is and what he's doing in our lives. Sometimes we have doubts. Sometimes we have experiences of sickness and death in our lives. Sometimes experiences of evil, trials and temptations. 
my encouragement to you is to pray the words that the Father said. I do believe God, help me overcome my unbelief. And talk to someone you know and trust about your questions, about your struggles, pray with them. Believing in Jesus is the way that we see his power at work. And this isn't just about believing facts. This is about entrusting our lives to Jesus the King. Kingdom life means being honest about the destructiveness of evil in our world. It means recognising the power of Jesus, which brings hope in the face of evil. Kingdom life means believing in Jesus in an unbelieving world. And it means trusting Jesus as our King. I have two practical suggestions about how this might look as we finish up. First of all, believing in Jesus and trusting Jesus as our King means resisting the devil. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we hear this encouragement and challenge. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking, looking for someone to devour. There's that dramatic picture. And the encouragement from Peter, resist him standing firm in the faith. Believe in Jesus, stand firm in the faith and resist the devil. James chapter four is similar. Submit yourselves then to God. Trust in Jesus, that means. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let's do a quick thought experiment here. Imagine if every time the devil came prowling into your life with temptation, you were alert. Imagine if every time you stood firm, trusting in Jesus, trusting in God's word. Imagine you resisted whatever temptation the devil came with. Your life, my life would be transformed, wouldn't it? Transformed by the power of Jesus. And imagine if all of us here did that. Every time we faced temptation, we stood firm in the faith. 10 a.m. would be transformed by the power of Jesus. And imagine if every Christian in Melbourne did that. Every time they faced temptation, they stood firm in the faith. Melbourne would be transformed by the power of Jesus. God is already transforming us. But imagine if we stand firm, if we keep standing firm, what God can do. Now we know that we'll never do all of that perfectly, don't we? Until Jesus returns and finally destroys Satan. But while we wait, let's be a community of people who ask God to help us to stand firm in our faith. Let's be a community that asks God to help us to resist the devil's temptations, whatever they are. And every temptation resisted is a result of Jesus' power at work. Every temptation resisted is a small transformation of us and of our world. Kingdom life now is about believing in Jesus and resisting the devil, making all of those little decisions every day to do that. Secondly, believing in Jesus, trusting Jesus as our King means leaning into prayer. Jesus encouraged the dad that everything is possible for one who believes. It's a really big, dramatic statement, isn't it? And when the disciples asked Jesus why they couldn't drive out the evil spirit, he said, this kind can come out only by prayer. One of the ways we express our belief in Jesus and also resist the devil is by coming to God in prayer. Now that verse that everything is possible for one who believes does not mean that everything we pray for will happen. 
but rather it means that if we trust in Jesus, we will set no limits to his power, no limits to what we ask for in faith, trusting ourselves to the will of God as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. There he prayed, Abba Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours. To help us pray as we face evil in the world, Jesus gave us this prayer in Matthew's Gospel. This then is how you should pray, he said. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer of trust in God. This is a prayer for God's kingdom to be present on earth. God's kingdom that has no evil in it. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is a prayer admitting that we face temptation. This is a prayer asking for deliverance from the schemes of the evil one. This is a prayer seeking God's forgiveness for the times when we succumb to temptation. Our lives haven't been disfigured by a deaf and mute spirit but they have been disfigured by sin as each of us falls into the devil's trap. Today, God calls us to recognise the destructiveness of sin in ourselves and in our world. He's shown us the power of Jesus to set us free from sin and death and to transform our lives, just as he transformed the life of the Son. And God calls us to kingdom life as we believe and as we trust in Jesus as our King. I'm going to invite us now to say the Lord's Prayer together. The words will come up on the screen. And if this is your prayer of faith in God and of resistance to the work of Satan in our world, please join me as we pray it. We'll take a pause after the first screen and then we'll continue when the words come up on the second screen. So please join me as we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. <laughs>